Welcome to another episode of Sweet Valley Online. This week, we're discussing Sweet Valley Twins number 41, The Twins Get Caught. I'm Wing. I really want to like this run of books because Dove has talked them up, but so far, I'm not enjoying them much. Also, still waiting for werewolves. I'm here with my not-so-evil twins, Dove and Raven. I'm Dove, and I've got nothing. I'm Raven, and I, too, have nothing. (laughs) Well, luckily, I have a summary of the twins get caught. Aaron Dallas is throwing the, quote, party of the year. Though, I think Lila and Bruce, at least, have also thrown parties of the year. And people, there could only be so many parties of the year before that phrase means nothing. Anyway, Aaron's party is at the new teen club, The Hangout. But the week before the party, Steven gets into a fight at the club, and the Wakefields decide that it is off-limits and the girls can't go. Also, we revisit Jessica desperately wanting to get her ears pierced, but not being allowed to yet. Kicked off because Lila finds a beautiful pair of unicorn earrings, and Ellen then gets her ears pierced. Plus, Alice's parents are visiting, and Elizabeth and Jessica spend a great deal of time worrying about how old and decrepit they've become, even though they're jogging and having adventures regularly. Jessica rebels, gets her ears pierced, and makes plans to seek out to the party. But she's caught. There's no real repercussions, though, because the grandparents convince Alice and Ned they're being far too hard on the kids. Jessica and Elizabeth go to the party. Jessica dances with the dreamy Todd Wilkins, which blows my mind because due to cultural osmosis, I associate him with Elizabeth in Sweet Valley High. The grandparents take them to a benefit concert for Darcy Catman, the singer they all love. And the setup for the next book is that the grandparents are off to San Diego to visit Alice's sister and her family. And the twins really want to go see their cousin Robin. There we go. Yes. Nice work. Very factual. Indeed. Try to keep the summary shorter and keep all my uh, editorial, okay, most of my editorial comments out of it so we can have that in the discussion. Because I'm going to start with my favorite editorial comment, which is the new teen club is called The Hangout. I'm impressed that it wasn't Sweet Valley Hangout. That is literally the only good part about that name is that they did not add Sweet Valley to it. What's wrong with The Hangout? It's boring. It is The Hangout. It is a hangout called The Hangout. It's comparatively exciting when you consider that all their shops are called Sweet Valley Boutique, Sweet Valley Records, Sweet Valley Pharmacy. Sweet Valley Abattoir. Sweet Valley Plaza for the hotel. Sweet Valley Medicinal Marijuana. (laughs) God, I wish. That would do that sound so good. Sweet Valley Assault Weapons. The Sweet Valley Dungeon. Literally, the only difference is that there's no Sweet Valley on it. It's just as bad as those others, just without the Sweet Valley. See, the thing is, though, I mean, is the word hangout used in America, then? Because we don't really use the word hangout. You know, no one says, are we going to to hang out at the, the hangout, if you know what I mean? No one no one in the UK... I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound like a particularly bad name to me. I thought the hangout was fine. Especially in the 80s and 90s, yes. You would go hang out at the hangout which is my hang-up on this name. I see. Good wordplay. A+. I'm occasionally funny, so this is the only time I'll be funny in 2018. Good to <laughs> Thank you. Tick. Box has been ticked. We can move on now. No, I mean, the hangout as a name just didn't, didn't really register with me at all. It was like, oh, yeah, it was like Casey's Place. You know, it was just like, that's another name for a thing in Sweet Valley. There was no attachment of yay or attachment of nay to it. It was just 
fine. Why is Casey's place not called Sweet Valley Milkshakes? Because when Casey took it over, he went, fuck that shit. <laughs> well, we also had the Dairy Burger. So I guess kind of some names, at least, they get to have fun with, sort of. But uh, to be fair, if you're not, if the phrase hangout is not a common phrase, then yes, the hangout, my complaint about the hangout loses all importance without <laughs> hanging out at the hangout. So, I mean, we had a youth club in my youth. And that was called the Youth Club. Yeah. So we were going to the Youth Club. Yeah, I would also find that a boring name. Though not quite as annoying because you're not youth clubbing at the Youth Club, so. True, true. Oh my god, now I want youth clubbing to be a name. A ver- I mean, it, now I want youth clubbing to be a verb. That's amazing. <laughs> going youth clubbing. Well, seal clubbing's a, a verb, so youth clubbing could be a... Maybe that's what happened to um, Stephen. He got, he got youth clubbed. He's a youth and he got clubbed in the eye. It works on multiple levels, youth clubbing. <laughs> so, yeah, Stephen got punched at the hangout. Yes, he did. It was me. Uh, it was you. I punched him. He's a dick. <laughs> you definitely deserve an award. <laughs> that, that was a bit bizarre. <laughs> it was. And also, of course, Stephen, a, you know, delightful Wakefield, even though the least of the Wakefields, apparently... He didn't get punched because he picked a fight or even got into a fight with someone on his behalf. He, of course, had to be defending someone because God forbid a Wakefield do anything wrong if they're not Jessica. So you believed his story then? I believe that the, the ghostwriter did not add a layer. My personal headcanon on that is he got into a fist fight with his dealer. Oh, is that why he's always so hungry? Because he's got the munchies. <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that's perfect that's my new headcanon never mind i take back my complaint about him getting in a fight for someone else steven the stoner <laughs> steven the stoner makes so much sense yeah the whole thing was steven getting punched in the punched in the eye because he was being this chivalrous guy i'm like nah so what did he do he stepped in because one of the smaller kids was getting picked on was that right yeah his damsel in distress was a boy which if you've read the sweet life is very fucking funny Right, but we have it, so stop it. I know, I'm just giving a shout out to, like, if Rosie's read it, she's like our listener, isn't she? Find a different shout out, because you're, uh, you're bordering on spoilers, and I hate you, and I realize <laughs> these books have been out forever, except for The Sweet Life, which has not been out quite as long, but still. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in 2028 or something like that, so don't worry. I think I, I did the maths in this. Like, we will you did. be approaching the grandparents' age by the time we're finished recapping this. Which is a nice segue into my rage over this whole, oh my god, they're so old, they're gonna die! And I realize this is all personal issues. Uh, I get that. I know I'm carrying some baggage into this. But having watched one parent slowly decay and die and watching another parent's body betray him, fuck out of here your grandparents jog and have adventures and run up and down stairs and go on things and have matching jogging suits also they're in their fucking 60s that is not fucking old oh my god again i mean it sounds like i'm being very contrary to all the things that you're saying here but i'm not believe me i think i shared the same um overall opinion overarching opinion of the book as yourself but i was fine with that because that was obviously Elizabeth overreacting and getting things wrong. And then the book proved that the, the grandparents aren't like that and the old people aren't like that. So in the same way as the, fat, the, the, the surface fat shaming in, in Lois Strikes Back is fine because that's the story they're telling. 
I found it to be a very believable 11 stroke 12 year olds view of oh my god they're ancient how old are they 36 you know that sort of thing uh, so it worked narratively for me i actually agree i think it did work narratively because the story pushes back but also it's very realistic for 11 and 12 year olds to think that's super old like i said it's definitely just my baggage uh both because of watching my parents but also because because i was adopted so late in their life my parents were in their 50s and 60s when i was growing up uh so my grandparents were in their 70s and 80s so it's just a even if the rage wasn't hitting i would have still been very 60s is so young comparatively because i grew up in a much older family i was just about to say the same thing as wing my my parents had me at 40 um their parents had them late at like late in life so when i was six like my uh, my grandparents were in their late 80s and i will admit they were the old frail type of grandparents the kind that you're slightly afraid of and always said inappropriate things that you innocently repeated age four and then got a wallop for yeah so the age thing it didn't really hit with me i'm like what 65 like you know I was 20 when, you know, my mom was that age. Yeah, same. And my dad was still riding motorcycles. So it was just, so it does story-wise make a lot of sense. Because again, preteens and teenagers and younger kids, like that whole realm, you think that 30 is old and 40 is ancient and 50. So it did make sense on that. It just definitely kicked off a lot of rage in me, which ruined the rest of the book for me. Well, I just think Elizabeth was stupid. I think that's... that's... Oh, I agree. <laughs> It just all builds up. Like on this reread, I have so much loathing for Elizabeth. And believe me, we're going to get to that like next week when we get to mine. Elizabeth has such an overinflated sense of self. It's kind of nice to see her get it wrong. She's like, oh, they're so old. They need oatmeal and they're going to die soon. And I, I shall rub their feet and they will gently slip away into the night. And then they're like, yo, we're going jogging, dude. Want to come? So you didn't like Elizabeth because of that? I I don't like Elizabeth at all for anything she does at all. <laughs> well, it's good um, that you can admit so this, this this is just like a tiny little contributing factor. Because I mean, the, the the what I tend to get from your hatred of Elizabeth is that you hate Elizabeth when she's always the goody goody and always got it right and always saying the right thing and trying to do her best. And in this one, she wasn't that. She just fucked it up. She she had a she had a mare. She was all over the place. It's it's hard to be able to say, well, I hate her for one thing and, and I hate her for this as well, without doing what you've just done, to be fair, which is saying, no, I hate Elizabeth. Whatever she does, she can fuck off. Exactly. That's exactly my takeaway on Dove. Like, anything. Elizabeth could be doing the best thing. She'd be doing literally the exact same thing as Jessica, and Dove would love Jessica and hate Elizabeth, and it cracks Agreed. me up. Her rage over Elizabeth is so entertaining to me. <laughs> I think it's also the horse books. Like, the fact that she's just, like, this natural rider. I'm like, no, you're fucking not. You have to learn. You know, and, oh, there's so many things about Elizabeth that I really, really hate, and you know, this was just one of them. So it was bloody delightful seeing her getting it wrong. Also, super weird little horse aside, and it doesn't actually matter to the book, but we open with Jessica putting a life-size poster of Johnny Buck up on Elizabeth's wall because Jessica's having to move in with Elizabeth while the grandparents visit. But she puts it over Elizabeth's favorite picture of Man of War. Okay, so <laughs> Man of War is a really famous racehorse, and I just do not buy at all that Elizabeth likes race horses she's always presented as this very english style rider very 
uh, dressage and very precise and that, which is very, very different than racehorsing and racehorses. So that kind of discrepancy just did not work for me. Different types of riding, different types of horses. Horse racing is not super popular with teenagers. It's a very adult kind of thing. And it's very uh, Southern kind of thing, Southeastern, especially in the 80s and 90s. So this whole thing did not work for me for Elizabeth. She would never. I completely agree with that because as we all know, because I go on about it all the time, I was a pony girl and we at the riding stable hated horse racing because it was so dangerous. Like our parents would watch the Grand National because it's a very English thing. Oh, I've just got 50p on this horse in the Grand National. So English. But generally speaking, we would refuse to watch it on principle because there are a lot of horses that don't make it round and it's just too distressing. And yes, it's distressing to everyone when an animal is hurt. But if you're particularly enamored with that animal, you don't actively seek out a sport where you know there's going to be an injury at the very least. That's interesting because I do like horse racing and uh, pretty much always watch the Triple Crown, which is the big three races in the U.S., I never, I mean, yes, I know that horses can get hurt, especially in horse racing. It's a, it is a very violent sport. But having grown up with Western style and rodeos and stuff like that, there's a lot of danger to horses. So I actually never thought about the uh, horse racing danger aspect in a really concrete way. And it's interesting, the difference between English riding and the focus on being careful with the horses, except maybe in jumping, versus this whole kind of, rough and tumble western riding them for work stuff so that's actually a really interesting conversation we're having the thing with the grand national i mean the grand national is a, a national institution over here and you know entire companies stop <clears throat> on the saturday or the sunday whenever it's running to sit and watch the grand national and offices have sweepstakes um in them where you you can sort of bet your pound and win the whole pot if you if your horse wins and etc um but the Grand National is a murderous event, to be perfectly frank. It really the hurdles, is. The hurdles are too high. The, the the ditches on the other side of certain fences because they've always been like that. It's a really long race as well. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like three laps or two laps, isn't it, of of entry race course? Uh, I would suggest you don't Google the Grand National if you've got any love for horses because it's it's a nasty, nasty event. So that's actually even a different type of horse racing that I'm yeah. talking about. Like it's jumping. There's it's like there's a lot of chase, jumping. Basically, yeah. yes. Is the triple crown just flat then? When you say horse racing here, it's just flat. It's just a circle, circular uh, track at different lengths. So yeah, we have a flat racing season, but we also have a steeple chase racing season where there's uh, jumps in there, like big hedges. They look like. Well, yeah. they're not hedges. There's fences, so you can injure yourself. And if you see footage of it, you see horses doing somersaults over it and breaking the neck. Right. And it's 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 hideous. It's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's but horrible. But the thing is, if you say horse racing to a person, they will think Grand National. And if oh. you say you know racing horse, they'll probably say Desert Orchid or Red Rum. Yeah, yeah. Those are the and, most famous ones. And yeah. those were through the Grand National. That kind of. Yeah, I think Red Rum did it twice and retired. I really I've don't know twice, because, I think. Yeah, or maybe even three yeah, times. Yeah, because yeah. like as I've said, I didn't watch it on principle because I just couldn't. It just really broke my heart. It's just if you're a pony person, you have a very strong opinion. Some people love it, some people hate it. But being the age that Elizabeth was, 
we hated it. And by proxy, all horse racing, because it all leads to the Grand National. To be fair, not here, but that's super interesting. And it could have been much worse than Elizabeth loving some Grand National champion. So, okay, fair enough. So if we go back to um, Elizabeth loving Man of War, um, Man of War was a, a famous racehorse, as you said. I think that's probably just down to bad research on the Jamie Suzanne's part, to be perfectly frank. It's like, we need the name of a horse. That's a famous horse. And rightly or wrongly, dressage horses and show jumping horses and three-day eventing horses tend not to have that longevity of fame. <clears throat> they might come along and be famous for the Olympics or whatever the... Um, what's the, three, the big three-day eventing thing over in Britain? Um, I want to say Edgebaston. It's not Edgebaston. What is it? I honestly don't know. I, I don't watch horse events. Like, that's also a thing. Like, you can be quite a devoted pony person and not have any interest in watching other people do it. Okay. But either way, it's either a case of they've chosen this horse because it was the the horse that they, the, back in the 80s, did the whole, let's, let's, fo- let's phone Google, whatever you had to do back then, and found that this was a horse to be to be mentioned if you like or it could just be that elizabeth could only find a picture of that horse again critical research failure because my bedroom was absolutely covered in posters of horses but they weren't famous they just came out of like horse and pony you'd get like five or six posters out of every magazine and they'd just be generally beautiful horses. Like you wouldn't care if they were famous. We were we're not looking for the Brad Pitt of horses. We're just looking for something that's fairly cute. You know, woolly Shetlands or a very delicate Arab. It doesn't really matter as long as it was a pretty horse and a nice shot. Boom! It went on the wall. Isn't this also kind of a continuity error? And maybe I'm just remembering us talking about it. But didn't Elizabeth at one point put up horse pictures, like that kind of horse picture? stuff from magazines or just that kind of generic horse pictures in her horse book. Was that Horsecock Monthly? Didn't she put it in her locket that's never been mentioned again? Oh, uh, maybe that was it. Her mum gave her a locket with a magazine picture of a horse in it. Yes, and maybe we that all was it. immediately uh, yes. Bleak Valley'd it going, oh, of course it's got a picture from a magazine in it. Bleak Valley Elizabeth doesn't have anything. So it could be that. Pony people just stick up pictures of horses. Or... And this was my big question. Why not a photo of Thunder? She allegedly loves it. Take a fucking camera to the stable and take a picture, you dimwit. Yeah, yeah. I will say to Raven's point of view, that's actually a really good point that you don't hear, at least, unless you're really, really involved in uh, that sort of English writing competition. You don't know their names. Like, I love watching, say, the Olympics, but I don't know any of the horses' names. Like racehorses especially ones who run the triple crown and especially especially ones who win the triple crown which is fairly rare to win all three races uh those names linger in uh social knowledge versus you're right the dressage horses or even the jumping horses don't yeah i mean there's there's a video that i've put on facebook repeatedly and everyone always likes it of um i believe it's a german guy yeah doing dressage to hip-hop which is outstanding. And even though I know the horse's name, I can't think of it right now. And, you know, I've watched that video repeatedly and read the comments and everything like that. And maybe we'll link that in the show notes because everyone needs hip-hop dressage horse in their life. Was it Dr. Ney? By the way, it was badminton, I was thinking of, the badminton horse trials. Ah, yes, that rings a bell with me. 
Yes. Anyway, let's move on from um, yeah horses. The picture of man. <laughs> like of a one line. <laughs> yeah, we've got like a horse book in in three more podcast time or something like that. So we can revisit horses there. But uh... Let joy be unconfined. So the B plot, I guess it's kind of a B plot of Jessica and the ear piercing thing again. While I like that, there's a little bit of a difference here that it's a she actually rebels and does it whether she should or not at least it's an action that makes sense for jessica otherwise this really felt like a retread of just like the last book or two Mm. where we just literally talked about this so so yes in some ways it works as continuity but on the other hand we've already had this story i don't want to recap it the thing with that though i thought it was just pure continuity i was quite pleased with they were taking a b plot and moving it on and sort of straddling two books because this this one had a definite end this was like fuck it i'm getting my ears pierced bang dead done yeah whereas that didn't happen that was the end of that story which for me just was over two books i think maybe if it hadn't gone on so long in this book or if it hadn't been so much between lila and jessica back and forth over whether Lila's rubbing it in her face and stuff like that if it had just been lila finds these great earrings jessica has a little bit of anger over it because part of the big picture of them treating her like a child and it just gets her ears pierced it wouldn't have felt so much like a retread but all the stuff with lila and ellen and jessica and not wanting to shop with them to see it happen and then them talking about earrings and oh my god it's so sad you can't have your ears pierced all of that just felt like a retread of the previous book i mean i could definitely see the appeal of having continuity and having a, a b plot over multiple books but it didn't work for me here mostly I was just about to say probably the same as you. Yeah, I can see both sides of that. Like, it's great to have continuity, but it did take such a chunk of the previous book to have it be given so much screen time again in the next book. Felt like treading water rather than progressing it. Um, So yay, yay for continuity, but nay for execution of continuity. I'm going to go one step further with that, and I'm going to say yay for continuity and yay for the Jamie Suzannes, or Grapplegate as we know them, for actually attempting to do that. I do think that it smacks to me that the, the the way the series is and the way the series is written, they would have had a diktat from on high to make sure that each book could be picked up singularly and separately. Good point. That's why, that's why you, you pick up any any one of them and they always start with the twins being these perfect twins but different in so many ways which, which we make fun of this felt like a continuation of that it's like we've done the first half of the earring story in the first book but because people might just pick up the second book we have to rehash some of that earring story again before we can finish the earring story and i don't think that'll have been something that they would have particularly wanted to do but something that they were probably told to do we're recapping Making Out on NostalgicBookshelf.com. And I've said on pretty much every one of my recaps thus far, I just had to buy them in the shop. And so I just bought the three most interesting rather than in order. And with you saying that, um, I think it's clear from Making Out that Team Grapplegate do like to have a long, strung out story. And they are going to be, their preference would be to be a little bit ruthless about how much backstory they give. You know, they'll basically go, oh, this is Aaron, he's a dickhead. But unless you've read the previous book, you don't know precisely why Aaron is a dickhead. So, yeah, maybe that's something they wanted to do. And, you know, upstairs sort of said, no, it's it's really got to be self-contained. 
And on a meta level, I could definitely see that because you're right. These books are where you pick them up and at any given point you could enter the series. And we've kind of talked about this before. But on a storytelling level, I still think that that's something we could critique in part because we do make so much fun of the fact that they're alike but different every month. Uh, and that's one of my favorite parts of your recaps in particular, the clever ways you poke fun at that. So, yeah, I understand why it happens. And I don't necessarily think it's the blame of the authors in this case. I just think it's crap in the storytelling. It really slowed down everything else for me. At the risk of giving more spoilers, I am afraid that all forthcoming books do not say. But the main way you can tell the difference between the twins is Jessica's got earrings. Okay, those spoilers are fine, and that really makes me sad, because come the fuck on, that's a great way to tell them apart. Yeah, I was hoping that I was going to say exactly the same, <laughs> just one sentence. This is Jessica Elizabeth, she's got her ears pierced, and then that's it. Move on. I think we actually had a set of twins at my school who, who that was their difference. Although one of them had their hair really short and one of them really long, and they were in separate classes. I get the feeling they they want they enjoyed being twins, but they also wanted to be separate people rather than codependent fuckwits like the Wakefields. To be fair, it's mostly Elizabeth who wants to be a codependent fuckwit from book one. <laughs> Jessica's definitely pushing for her own friends and her own freedom and her own interests. It's just that sometimes those interests align and then it's really annoying. Oh, uh, I'm going to stick up for Elizabeth here a bit because it's getting to the Let's Do All Batch Elizabeth podcast and that's not fair. <laughs> I think that Elizabeth is, she might be the one who misses the closeness, the, the bond that they have, but she's very clear in saying no, the unicorns are bell ends. You know, if she was really trying to be codependent with Jessica, I think she'd have made a bit more of an effort to bond with Jessica's friends. I actually think she just wants Jessica to leave them and come back to her friends because her friends are the right friends. Like, it's not necessarily that she's going to do whatever it takes to keep Jessica. She just thinks Jessica's making mistakes and will eventually come back to the fold. What It's actually funny that this has become an Elizabeth bashing thing. I like Elizabeth a lot of the time. You it's are Elizabeth. <laughs> Shut up. It's <laughs> just what I don't like her. It's really in intense ways. So you're saying that you could see Elizabeth killing off the unicorn so that Jessica has nobody but Elizabeth left. If Elizabeth ever came to Jessica's point where Jessica's killing people in her way, then yes, the unicorns would be buried <laughs> in the Orkutee backyard. Awesome. So what did everyone think of the grandparents? I liked them. I thought there was some interesting awkwardness between how they parented because we hear a little bit about how they used to parent uh alice and and her sister i guess the interesting differences in how strict they were versus how they look at how alice and ned are parenting and how they think alice and ned are being too strict this is all very realistic generational stuff and how as you get older maybe you relax a little on that uh being very strict as a parent or how a grandparent has a different point of view on safety and things like that it was also interesting to see how they used to rebel when they were teenagers and young adults uh, in ways that really encouraged Elizabeth and Jessica a lot of the time. But I thought it was also a little awkward that they would just flat out step in in this uh, ending of the book and just completely negate actual punishment that the Wakefield parents are handing out. That's so unusual for them in the first place to have that happen and then immediately be taken back because the grandparents are like, hey, you're being way too strict and hard on the kids here. That annoyed the hell out of me. See, again, I'm going to be contrary. I thought that was quite good because I thought that the parenting that was done by Alice, uh, specifically Alice, um, and, and by proxy, Ned was too strict. The whole like, oh, Stephen's got into a fracas at the hangout. 
the girl shall never leave the house again. <laughs> it, so when the grandparents did step out, it, step in and say, no, I think you're being a bit over the top there, love. Then, I mean, Alice herself sort of admitted it. So I definitely disagree about the hangout thing. Like, I would not have cared because things happen when you're out and about. But if uh, my son is getting punched in the face one week and then like a week later my daughters are wanting to go back to the same place i can see a parent be like no you can't go to that specific thing which is really all they said and the earring thing like she whether or not they're right about the 14 years old thing she blatantly disregards uh this rule gets it done herself could potentially have gotten real infected or had real danger from it because those ear piercing guns are terrible she's not getting it on the back street though is she she's not like going to yeah who's going to pierce me ears oh yeah guido down at the docks you know <laughs> they'll go to the sweet valley ear piercing that's going to be fine surely mine got infected immediately um i got mine done at h samuel or hs mule as we call it because the a fell off so did a, a whole bunch of other people in my class and mine got infected it just depends like on your immune system and how your body reacts and everything and everybody else was fine but mine immediately got infected and actually had to be cut out with a knife that would have been funny if that happened in the book Jessica just goes into school with massive swollen ears. <laughs> she looks like Princess Leia. <laughs> Piercing guns are actually, yeah, really notorious for being terrible, uh, both in how they damage the ear, just in how they work, but also in the fact that you're in this, like, and Jessica goes to the mall to get it pierced, so I'm, I'm speaking from that kind of experience. It's just this basically fun little jewelry store that's... Uh, no one's trained you're being pierced by a teenager it's there's no real safety here she might have done better to go pierce it herself like her grandmother did uh so definitely if you don't have yours pierced and you're gonna go and you're listening to this go to an actual piercing studio get it done with the punch system much less painful and much safer for you I will quickly say that mine were done very professionally. In fact, she accidentally touched the earrings and she was like, right, I'm going to have to throw these away. They're tainted. And she uh, threw away her gloves and put on new gloves. And, you know, she did it properly and showed everyone. So mine was just the fact that my body went, no way, when faced with earrings. I am not even sure in the early 90s that they wore gloves in those uh, little stores. Because it's basically like a... So it's like a Claire's for U.S. listeners, which is basically just an... Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, it's basically a Claire's, but they have a little piercing booth. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't even know if they wore gloves when I got mine done in the 90s. So that's terrifying. I'm looking forward to the special the Super Edition. Jessica gets hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens in Sweet Valley High, but it's not from an earring. <laughs> <laughs> And I think so thinking about this whole grandparents stepping in thing, I definitely could see how my uh, experiences are coloring my reaction to it because my mother's dad died long before I was born and her mom died when I was pretty young. So the only experience I had with grandparents were my dad's parents who were not great people. At least uh, his dad wasn't. So having a grandparent step in to negate parenting for my parents would have been this terrible thing uh, and potentially really dangerous in ways that we won't necessarily get into now. But uh, so yeah, like having that kind of parents negating parenting by the act grandparents negating parenting by the actual parents 
really bothered me. I will say that my mum gleefully over overrode any parenting my grand uh, my granddad tried to do. I didn't like him at all. I, to be honest, I think anyone who's listened to this or read any of my recaps will understand that I have difficulties with my family, but didn't like my granddad at all. He he never tried to sort of interfere in the whole raising of me because it's not like he had a faintest clue how to raise a child but um he was forever trying to say oh call me uncle bob i mean that's not his name uh rather than granddad because i don't want people to know i'm your granddad and my mum was like no you're her granddad she's gonna call you granddad and i i think that was her sticking twos up at her dad because i don't think she liked him much either that was actually very cool on her part huh would have expected that yeah yeah. And also, he was 8,000 years old. Just looking at him, it was a surprise that he wasn't someone's great, great, great grandfather, much less my granddad. See, my granddad was lovely. I mean, I only knew my paternal grandfather because my maternal grandfather died, unfortunately, before I was born. Uh, yeah, but my, my paternal gran- grandfather was lovely. And my gr- grandmother, we used to have very happy memories going around to theirs. They had a little small Scotty dog, could play with the Scotty dog, go to the garden and run around the garden and climb little trees and stuff like that and would go into his greenhouse and he'd show me his tomatoes, which is not a euphemism. They were actually tomatoes. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, nothing but good thoughts. Were your grandparents from, like, an Enid Blyton book? Because that's exactly what happens in Blyton books. <laughs> they didn't force-feed me lettuce. <laughs> Sometimes I'm really glad that uh, Raven had such an idyllic experience in contrast to other things. Like we definitely run the gamut of uh, how we relate to our families and different parts of our families. And I like having that difference. But yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I have good memories with my grandmothers at least, but uh, that's, that's a much different situation. And maybe if I'd had that, I would have come at this with your perspective where it was, it made sense to have them kind of still be parenting their kids, even as adults, like, Hey, no, you're really overreacting here. I I don't think they stepped in on, on towardly. That's, that's my issue. I think Alice was being a dickhead. Um, And that's why I thought uh, they, they, they weren't storming in going, well, look after your child like this. Don't let them do this, do that. It was more a case of, Oh, what your mum said this, that's a bit weird. She was not like that when she was young. And then raising it when it came to a head, even when it was obvious that they could have, they, they, they could have said something earlier, wrongly, if you know what I mean, but they could have said something earlier. They didn't, they didn't step in until Jessica had PSDs and was basically being massively shouted at, you know, so. I kind of had this reverse situation. Um, one of my aunts came to stay with us for a while. And um, I think in, because my father had passed away, she felt like she had to do some parenting. So she just constantly grounded me for like the slightest infractions. She was like, oh, you left your school uniform on the floor. You're grounded. And then come Saturday morning, um, me and mum is getting in the car at half five. And she's there in her dressing gown. Where are you taking her? She's grounded. And mum's like, horse riding, because she's not grounded. I'm her mum. <laughs> Also, also, <laughs> and she's yelling after her, make her get a bus. And my mom's like, find a bus, and my daughter will get on it. Vroom. <laughs> That's also amazing. Also, also, holy crap, did you get up early to go horseback riding? Good lord. I think we used to have to get there for 5 a.m. on a horse show day. Uh, we had to be there for seven. So actually, maybe I'm 
too early. Maybe it was half six that we were in That's the car. Way too early. <laughs> yeah, without a break, because like I'd have to be up at seven to get the school bus. So like there was, I think I went for about two and a half years without like having a lie in. And the only time I did was when someone had a slumber party for their birthday, because I wouldn't go to regular slumber parties because fuck that. Horses are better than people. Wing, am I right? So totally right. Yeah, whenever there was a slumber party for someone's birthday, they'd all be poking me going, Sarah, get up. I'm like, I haven't slept since like 1991. Could you kindly fuck the fuck off? <laughs> Horses are joy. But um, book. Yeah, sorry. Yes. So can we talk about this whole Todd Wilkins thing? Because my mind is honestly fucking blown <laughs> by what's <laughs> happening here. I really, truly... Have it just so settled in my head that he wasn't going to really show up in this book. He was only, or not this book, but this series. He was only Sweet Valley High. It was him and Elizabeth and Jessica trying to steal him away, quotes, because you can't actually steal a person. Just so, yeah, when he actually, so he showed up previously in the, he showed up in Christmas Ghost, but it's a high school version of him. Like, it's where she's seeing her future, and it's high school, so that was fine. But to have him show up here and always be talking to Jessica, I definitely thought he was approaching her because he liked Elizabeth, but then he dances with just like it really blew my mind. I'm honestly, for the first <laughs> time, I was deeply surprised by this series. Like, whoa. So, yeah, what's going on with Todd? I can't explain Todd Wilkins. Nobody can. Uh, we do have a user who comments who calls himself Mr. Todd Wilkins. Maybe he can explain everything. But um, yeah, I can't explain Todd. Um, he is. Oh, just wait till you get to Sweet Valley High. Bloody hell. But why is he here? Why? Why? What? I don't. I'm really honestly super confused. So, like, is this whole Jessica and Elizabeth thing? Because isn't one of the. Obviously, we're getting it to you, and I don't really want solid spoilers. But my impression has always been that he was with Elizabeth, and Jessica kept trying to flirt with him and wanted to date him, maybe in part because she couldn't have him. But so, really, did Elizabeth take him away from her sister? based on what's going on in Sweet Valley Twins. Like, that changes everything I've thought about Sweet Valley High. <laughs> You're just going to have to keep reading if you don't want spoilers. Well, clearly I'm going to keep reading because we're going to be doing this forever. But yeah, it just... <laughs> uh, I kind of like having this, not having read any of it before. Yeah. Cultural osmosis on it. I kind of like that it is such a shocking situation for me. It definitely has made me intrigued in ways that even if we weren't doing this i'd probably keep reading just to figure out what the hell was going on i, I must say i did like your reaction wait todd wilkins even i know who that is you know right <laughs> <laughs> like cultural osmosis you know the twins and how they're perfect and blah 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 and i knew bruce and him being terrible and i knew todd wilkins and elizabeth were meant to be those are the things i knew about sweet valley so yeah shocking shocking stuff <laughs> awesome you're just gonna have to keep reading wing <laughs> awesome i'm excited despite not liking this book much and not liking next week's book much I, I am really still excited about this series in ways that i wouldn't have expected this time last year well i have promised you werewolf fic and uh i was telling raven last night that i've come up with an idea that will make you happy i think I'm excited. Werewolf in general, I'm excited. So this is great. I love werewolves. I love Dove's fiction and all of her writing. Uh, I like Jessica a lot. <laughs> I like other characters a lot. So yeah, this could be a fun combination. Awesome. 
Marvellous. So have we anything else to add for this book? Not really, because, I mean, it felt like a lot of small things happened, but nothing big happened. I do think in some ways that actually works, because the big overarching thing here is that Jessica and, to a certain extent, Elizabeth feel like they're being treated like little kids. And that is such a realistic and well-done preteen growing thing, a teenager. Like, from about this age on up, you really do feel like, you're becoming an adult, but the people around you aren't necessarily treating you like adult in general. Definitely, I think Dove had a different experience in that she was left alone very young and had a lot of responsibility on her. But in general, this is a story that I think resonates with people. So I liked that they was just little pieces of it that built together in a whole. I just didn't like all the individual little pieces. To be fair, I cheered when Jessica went, fuck it, I'm getting my ears pierced because I was like, brilliant. So you should, because... With my very narrow worldview as a child reading this, it was like, right, okay. One option is that your parent is searingly indifferent to you and will scream at you at random times for things that you did that were fine last week when you did them, but are now not fine now. Or you can have these messy, annoying, interfering parents who get involved at all the wrong times and ignore you at all the other times. I'm like, I think mine is better. Just tell your parents to go fuck themselves. It's one set of shit parents versus another, really, to be honest. Ned and Alice aren't always terrible parents, but for a lot of the time they are. I mean, so, yeah, I kind of cheered when Elizabeth, uh, when Jessica just went, sod it, I will get my ears pierced. Screw you. I did too, because it's such a Jessica thing to do. Like, I was shocked in the previous book that she just backed down eventually. Like, I fully expected her to go with Lila, just get it done at that stage. So I did like that she did it, because it is such a Jessica thing to do. I just think she should have been punished for it, not protected by the grandparents. Agreed. As an adult now, I'm just like, yeah. She wanted that before the grandparents even rocked up. There is no way that that story enabled her any more than everything that was already present, which is I want it, all my mates have it, my parents being complete dicks this week, screw it. Right. One thing I would like to say is that I do think that, although this was a book of small pieces, I like the fact that we've got a general story that's overarching this book, the last book, and the next book, which is what we've already mentioned um, about the twins not being treated as adults being treated quite like like, like, like children and, and and that sort of the growing pains that that wing mentioned and i like the fact that these three books can be sort of tied in together as stories about that um obviously we'll talk about the next book next week um but i mean the previous book also had the you know we want to be treated like adults more often and this one did too and as and the next one will as well. So having that overarching over three books, I think is like a mature, it shows a, a maturity in the writing. A lot of the other books seem to be very, very one shot. Very, we will discuss what is happening in this book and then we won't mention it either way again. True. So yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've got a thumbs up for the, for, for team Grapplegate on that. Yay. That's a really good point, even not liking the repeat of the earring story. They've also managed to tie back to earlier threads in the series before they were ghostwriting. So we've already had at least one book where the whole point was about 
Jessica especially, but Elizabeth too, feeling like they were treated like kids and they weren't allowed to go on this uh, solo trip at that point. So it's a very interesting look at, at this ongoing conflict, which is, again, a very realistic conflict. And readers who are reading this, uh, I imagine, found themselves... Uh, readers, I imagine, see themselves in this a lot as they're struggling for their independence too. But I like how also, whether or not puberty, as we get into the next book, so I'll just vaguely mention it here, whether or not that's a good reason to start treating them (laughs) as more like adults. (laughs) I like that it's changing as the twins are growing up. We do get to see Alice and Ned address that and admit it's happening and then allow them to go on trips. So I do like that it's tied across multiple books. And even you're right, really, these past two books really lead into next week's book in interesting ways. That's a good point. Yeah. Team Grapplegate, we love them, even if we're not madly in love with the contents of each book. I do enjoy their writing. So yeah, I think they're sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what Raven just said is possibly why I think this is the part where the series gets going, because they kind of did this and sort of forced any following writers to make an effort. I'm not sure they did all the way to the end because I bowed out around uh, Cammy's crush and I'm not going to read any more until we get to that point. Team Grapplegate seemed to have taken a series which was, to use the vernacular, Monster of the Week and turned it into season arcs almost. Or at least it feels like they've got there's more riding on the continuity, which is, you know, something that we've mocked a lot in the past. Yeah, because these books at least tie together, whereas like if we were to pick up I don't know The Ithic book, perhaps? The Ithic book. Off. Why not? Let's bring that one up. But can anyone remember book. which book was either side of that? Because even I can't and most of this stuff is burned in my brain. No, I really can't. Any individual book, uh, and I realized this, actively realized this when we were going through our end of year review for last year, there's not a ton of individual books that stand out with other books. Like there are stories that I remember, but I don't necessarily remember how they fell in line with each other. So this, I definitely could see it building and Raven makes a really good point on that. Uh, Also, I think that uh, team Grapplegate, their writing is strong, both individually and together. And that comes through even within the constraints of this sort of series. So that is impressive, whether or not I like the individual book. Yeah, I mean, I think Lila's, I think they have fun with Lila, because uh, she's, she's quite sassy in these, these few books, and just, well, not sassy, but, you know, just fabulous and dismissive and awesome. We and love Raven's- Lila. And Raven's theory about her loneliness, like it came up a book or so ago uh, when there was this discussion of whether she would sleep on Jessica's floor and Raven kind of settled on, of course she would. She's that lonely and and that desperate for companionship and friendship. Uh, Looking at it with that perspective, everything she does is entertaining, of course, because she's Lila, but it's also kind of heartbreaking and it adds a depth to it that I previous with previous ghostwriters i wouldn't have really believed they did it intentionally i kind of would believe it with team grapplegate like i could absolutely see them adding nuance to lila that maybe wasn't really there unless you read it a certain way whereas it's intentionally there now so i kind of like that 
Yeah, I think you're right there because I'm reading a book that's like a few more along and I won't give any specific spoilers, but Lila's being her usual obnoxious self, but she is mentioning her father like my father is doing this. My daddy said this and it's like she's not bragging about what daddy said. She's bragging about the fact that daddy said something to her and, you know, it's easier to read on Grapplegate than it, than it is on previous ghosties possibly. Well, even in this book, she's very dismissive of uh, Alice's parents coming to visit. And she's very, oh, it's terrible that you have to spend time with your grandparents because she is so miserable with her grandparents, which based on her other family life means that it's her dad's parents. So there's kind of this line of parents being really shit and ignoring their kids and how that passes from generation to generation. So even that where on the surface is could be read as just oh ooh old people like any kind of preteen might do instead it really reads as she just has this shit family situation from the top down of course she doesn't have good thoughts to think about grandparents visiting and of course she's still desperate to have attention and of course she says these things to make jessica pay attention to her rather than what else is going on yeah yeah, yeah. okay shall we move over to bleak valley yes yes we shall Want me to say it? Yes. Go on then. I got nothing. Yay. <laughs> uh, one thing I think is that's uh, an interesting wish fulfillment here that Bleak Valley Elizabeth really wants to rebel uh, in mostly the sneaking out, like escaping kind of way. But she knows that she never could do that. So she has to give Jessica this, even when she's starting to get into really serious trouble oh, someone comes to rescue her even from that because Elizabeth, who spends a great deal of time being punished and in trouble, can't have Jessica being hurt that way on any sort of level. And that kind of ties into the whole thing where no matter what Jessica does, she's never really punished. There's maybe one grounding that sort of sticks for a brief amount of time. But in general, she could do whatever and they'll start to punish her. But then oh, but she really tried or she came around or things are better and the punishment disappears. Do we think, I mean, just just a, a quick one before we get majorly bleak on that. Do we think that Jessica's puli- uh, punishment in the real series weren't realised because of continuity thing? Because there was plenty of times where books ended where Jessica was being punished, but then it wasn't mentioned again. For example, the time when she um, had to walk the dog. Yeah. And that was not, I didn't think that was a case of, oh, she's got out of that punishment. I, I thought that was a case of, oh, we've moved on now. We're not talking about dogs anymore. We're talking about something else. On a meta level, yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's that every book has to start anew. So you can't really have that, oh, she's walking this dog as punishment for what happened last book, unless you're going to go into 30 pages of uh, recapping that book, which, God, no, don't, don't do that. Well, um, that, that's our job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that we they could have handled it better though. Oh, they could yeah. have just said instead of instead of Jessica coming home from a booster tryouts, 
or from or coming home from a unicorn meeting. They could very easily have just said she came home from came home from walking the dog that she had to do because she got into trouble last week and not mentioned it again. That's just literally changing a few words. Yeah, because according to Team Grapplegate, there was a Bible that outlined the plots of previous books, which they found largely useless because they they wanted to know the layout of the house and how far it was away from the school and things like that. But so in theory, that Bible should have sort of said, right, Jessica is grounded or Jessica is in trouble because of this. And that's fair. I do think that as kind of tying back to what Raven said earlier, that, uh, that sort of continuity because you're supposed to be able to pick it up they still have to go into more background than maybe some of them wanted to because i mean you and i dove were just complaining about how they had to build so much of the ear piercing story again so yeah i think meta level that's why it happened but bleak valley level it definitely reads to me as if she can't bear to have jessica in trouble ever because bleak valley elizabeth is always in trouble well i had a thought that Stephen coming home uh, with a black eye from going to the hangout, is very simply bleak Elizabeth trying to get out of the house and being punched for it. And her dream is that, you know, some lovely grandparents, because grandparents in commercials always look very lovely. They give you sweets and soft toys and cuddles and things like that. <laughs> you know, some of them coming over and then reasoning with her parents, adult to adult, and going, actually, just just let her go down to the park let her go on a swing she's never been on a swing she's 11 years old and she's never been on a swing you know that kind of thing that's her dream but um of course she she lets the twins go because they are her wish fulfillment but the harsh reality is she tried to go outside she came back with a black eye she's not going her parents say no i could see that i think yeah yeah that's why it's sad. But also she didn't want to hurt Sweet Valley Elizabeth or Jessica. So Stephen took the punch. I think that's a, a fair fair reasoning, a fair theory there. That makes sense. And it is. It's sad. That's really sad. And maybe that's why she's so cross uh, uh, with it. And that's why Jessica just goes, no, fuck it. I'm getting my ears pierced. She's like, yeah, Jessica's really cross that, that I'm not allowed to go outside. She's rebelling for me kind of thing. So you're saying that she went out, she was allowed outside, but she got punched? No, I'm saying she tried to go outside. Maybe she wanted to go into the backyard and enjoy the sunshine. And either the parent or the oldest sibling, step-sibling grabbed her and knocked her about. And like, what have we told you? You're not allowed to go outside. It's dangerous out there. Get back in your cupboard. Yeah, that's desperately sad. Very. Holy crap. But you had nothing. To be honest, I did have something. It's just you guys always expect me to say, I got nothing. It could also be, maybe maybe she did get punched by, I don't know, Bleak Ned, but for no reason. Mm, that's a good theory. And that made her want to leave more. That's horrifying. Rather than, rather than the her wanting to leave leading to her being physically abused, the physical abuse came first and just solidified that. Yeah. And then the fact that she just did put it onto Stephen and gave him such a, an honourable and noble way yeah, to explain away why it happened. that's very sweet. Mm, that's good. Mm. Yeah. Aww. Again, it's just another a mirror to her hideous life. Ned gets pissed and just punches her in the face. Just like a casual swat, you know, bang, when she's 
tidying up or something like that. I mean, I'm completely child free, but I want to adopt Bleak Elizabeth and just take care of her. <laughs> Bless. So sad. Oh, She's so broken. She probably slit our throat in her sleep. No, she, she was gonna do that. I'd give her chocolate and a duvet, and I'd take her horse riding. I'd let her go outside. It's cool. <laughs> she yeah. she wouldn't like it much, probably. It's noisy out there, but you know she could go. Oh God, Bleak Valley's so fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it every time we record, and then I sit here like, holy shit, we're terrible. <laughs> All right, let's go rate the books. That's always a fun time. That maybe helps after the horror of Leak Valley. Stupendous is the highest category, followed by good, meh, bad, and kill it with fire. So <laughs> what did you guys think of the book this week? Overall, I would give this a high meh, because I didn't really enjoy it for itself, but I retrospectively enjoy it as a lead up to the next two books. I think we've sort of discussed how the next two books sort of seem to be a little unit and maybe they're not great individually but as a part of that I enjoyed it but I don't think it was very good on its own merits but I just wasn't particularly involved in the story so that's where that's where I'll go I'll go with meh personally I would give this book a low good because I quite enjoyed it I thought the grandparents were sweet I thought Alice's parenting was bad and was addressed later in the uh, book. I thought Jessica's water her water cooler moment when she went, fuck this shit, holes in my ears. I thought that was f- great. Uh, I thought Elizabeth being, well, Elizabeth basically almost having a breakdown, going, oh, God, no, all we, all we can do is liquidise the food and feed the old people through a straw. I thought that was funny. It did suffer a little because it was a lot of small things. So that's why it didn't get a high good from me. But I like the way it fits in this series of three books that we're, that we're doing, like I've mentioned. And yeah, um, definitely definitely um, a positive review from me, albeit a low good. So before this conversation, I would have given it a meh, because the stuff I liked would have been high good, and the stuff I disliked would have been low bad. So a meh would have landed pretty solidly, kind of middle of the road meh. However... <laughs> Uh, after this conversation, and particularly how it ties in uh, arc-wise to the books kind of running together and how enjoyable that is, I too am going to have to give it a low good. Like, there is stuff I really dislike, but overall, I think it works in the book arc. And what we've been complaining about from the beginning is how disjointed the books feel and how there's no continuity and the series doesn't really work as a series. But this does so yeah this conversation brought it up to a low good there you go raven you saved the book yay and to be fair one last thing i'd like to say about this book this book could have been a kill it with fire but it would have been automatically taken up two categories just by the fact that steven got punched in the fucking face (laughs) that was great oh man i'd love to retrospectively bump mine to a good because yeah god damn yeah if i could retrospectively change my vote i would so well, you can, so does it land on good then? All right. Excellent. So we'll go for a universal good because, yeah, punching Stephen in the face is amazing. All right. So that's pretty great. Somehow this uh, podcast talked it around to a good rating across the board. Awesome. <laughs> 
we may be on a hashtag best JB Suzanne. And apparently that's a great thing because we're all liking the books, at least after we talk about them, even when there's a weird mix of really great storytelling and really boring and or terrible storytelling. And I'm loving the preteen growing pain theme that we're starting to have across these books. Good times. I used to be annoyed by this book. Now I really like it. Uh, thanks for listening to my venting and to Raven talking us all around to his way of thinking, which God, I hope never happens again. Goodbye, all. Bye. Laters. You've been listening to the Sweet Valley Online podcast for number 41, The Twins Get Caught, recorded on the 25th of February, 2018. You can access all our past recaps and podcast episodes at sweetvalley.online, a member of the nostalgicbookshelf.com network. Check us out on facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline or Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Our music is supplied by Stuart Taylor. He can be contacted at taylorstuart602 at gmail.com for all your own musical needs. We can be found on Twitter under sweetvalley underscore for dove, devil's elbow pod for wing, and bookshelf underscore raven. Next week, we'll be talking about Sweet Valley Twins number 42, Jessica's Secret. Be sure to join us on the 9th of March, 2018. Until then, go ahead and rebel against your parents. Clearly nothing bad will happen.